Well, in the last chapter of 1 John, we've been looking at some basic assurances that can be ours if we are truly in fellowship with God. The assurance of victory over the world through Nike faith, the assurance of eternal life, and the assurance of answered prayer. Well, John wraps up his letter in the last four verses with three more assurances, or actually certainties, and a final warning. He offers certainties that all Christians should be able to have and a warning we all need to hear. All through 1 John, we've noticed the word know, K-N-O-W. And John's not going to disappoint us in these final verses. Verse 18, 19, and 20 all begin with the word know. But it's not the word he normally uses. The common Greek word for know that we find in 1 John suggests a learning process, that we are coming to know certain things. The word he used for know in these final verses suggests a fullness of knowledge. These are things we now know for certain. The conclusion has been reached and there's no doubt about it. The process of testing and self-examination that John has taken us through has been completed and now we know where we stand with God. Well, John assumes a positive result of our testing and leads us in a threefold we know of certainty. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. As those who have been born of God and have passed the test, we are certain of three things. We are freed from the power of sin. We are on the Lord's side. And what we believe is true. We know that no one who is born of God sins. But he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. No one born of God sins. This is very similar to something we saw back in chapter 3, verse 16. No one who abides in him sins. Now again, John isn't saying Christians will never sin, that God expects us to be perfect. He understands that we will all occasionally miss the mark. But he is reminding us that a Christian's life is not characterized by sin. Sin 
will not be the pattern of our life. The word sin, he uses, is in the continuous tense. And John hasn't pointed a finger at us, suggesting that if we think we're born of God, we better prove it by being good, you know? Now, we've already ascertained whether we've been born again or not. John isn't giving us a, a scorching reprimand here. He's giving us a triumphant certainty that causes us to rejoice. He's essentially saying, praise God. No one who is born of God has to sin anymore. We've been freed from the power of sin. We're no longer under sin's oppression. No longer do we have to live a life filled with sin. And no longer do we reap the consequences of our sin in our life, in our homes, even in our bodies. Praise God. We don't have to sin anymore. When was the last time you rejoiced about that? You know, sadly, most of us have somehow gotten the idea that we're missing out on something enjoyable when we quit sinning, that that sin is fun. And being a Christian means we've got to quit having fun. Now, we console ourselves by thinking that while we may not have the fun others are having, someday we will go to heaven for being good, and they'll have to pay for the fun they're having. (laughs) And it is true that unless he repents, a man caught up in sin will pay for his sin in the future, but he's also paying for it now. Sin affects personal relationships, most often negatively. And sin separates us from God and sets us adrift in a meaningless world. Sin leads to habits that destroy us mentally and physically as well as spiritually. Praise God, we do not have to sin anymore. And not only have we been freed from sin, but Jesus, he who was born of God, keeps us. He sustains us. He protects us. He gives us the power to overcome. He won't allow us to be tempted above what we can withstand. As long as we trust him and draw our strength from him, sin cannot get a hold of us. John says the evil one does not touch him. The word translated touch really means to lay a hold of or to get a hold of. Satan can't get a hold of me now. He may tempt me. He may frighten me. He may confuse me. But he can't get a hold of me. I don't have to sin anymore. The spiral of sin has been broken. No longer am I doomed to a life of sin. I've been forgiven, and I've been given the power to live free from sin's grasp. Through the power of Christ, I've been freed to live the abundant life. Of this, I am certain, because I am on the Lord's side. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power 
of the evil one. We've already determined that we are of God and are therefore on his side. And if we're on the Lord's side, we know we're going to win in the end. In the meantime, however, the world is in a mess. And John tells us why. The world's in a mess because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, that's not to suggest that the evil one is more powerful than God. The world lies in the power of the evil one because the world has made Satan its God. The vast majority have chosen to live in disobedience to God. Now, that's not a fun fact. But knowing it helps us understand the condition of this world without, without pessimism concerning the future. Our hope for the future isn't built on any man or program or political party. Our hope is built on Jesus Christ and nothing, not the devil or death itself, can diminish that hope. Someday, all things will be made right. That does not mean, however, that we should just sit back and wait for things to get better. That we don't have a role to play in making this world a better place. You know, I love our country. And I want it to be a part of the world that God can bless. And we know what it'll take to make that happen again. Carter just wrote a research paper entitled The Involvement of Faith in the Creation of Our Country. In it, he had to present opposing views, but his conclusion was well supported. He noted that faith played a huge part in the founding of our country. The faith that was found in the lives of the founders and faith in the citizens who inhabited our country. And that the problems we're facing today are due to the loss of faith in what the founders referred to as the laws of nature and of nature's God. Now, we're not hesitant to identify nature's God nor to acknowledge that the solution to the problems we face in our land is faith in the Son of God. We know the answer, but the world still lies in the power of the evil one. Because the only way to overcome sin and its effects is to have faith in and live in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the majority are not doing that. So the only way to really make this world into a better place is to bring more people into a relationship with the Son of God. And while that may be a frustratingly slow process, especially when the world is going downhill at an alarming rate, it's our only hope. But even if we're not able to lead enough men and women to Christ, to make this world a better place, we know that in the end, God will win. And we can stand strong in a sinful world as long 
as we're on the Lord's side. If we pass the tests John set before us, we know whose side we're on. And we have the assurance that what we believe is true. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Christian certainty is not an illusion. We've not conned ourselves into assurance, hoping that something is true, so much so that we believe it. No, no, what we believe is true. What we believe is based on facts. It's not something we came up with and then hoped was true. We know that God is for real because He came to earth in the form of His Son. Jesus entered our physical world so we could know the unseen God is not a figment of our imagination. Now, that happened almost 2,000 years ago, so we can't see Him today, but we do know that He did come. We know He came because we've examined the historical evidence of His coming. Now, few Americans doubt George Washington existed. We know he existed and was our first president because historical evidence proves it. Some may not be aware, however, that there is far more evidence to prove that Jesus lived on earth for over 30 years than to prove George Washington ever lived. You can't prove either one scientifically. You can't reproduce them in a laboratory. Both must be accepted by faith in the historical evidence that they did, in fact, live. We know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. He taught us what we believe. We didn't dream up our beliefs, at least not the ones we find in Scripture. Nor did some philosopher pen them for us. Jesus Christ revealed them to us so we know these things are true. And not only do we know the truth about God, we've been brought into a relationship with Him. We've been brought into a relationship with Him who is true. We've been brought into relationship with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we live our life in the truth He brings. We don't hope for peace. We're at peace with our Creator. We don't just think we're loved. We know we are when we gather around a table in remembrance of what Christ did for us. We know we'll live again because we know He did. What we have in Christ is true and will last forever. 
We've been freed from the power of sin and can therefore come into relationship with the one true God. We can enter into eternal life with him now. We are on the Lord's side. And even though the current situation may not look good, we know we're going to win. Our hope is secure in him. Our victory is guaranteed because we're on the winning side. These are the certainties we have in an uncertain world. The triumphant certainties we have in Christ. We'd like to leave this letter on that note, but John's not going to let us. He tacks on one final warning that we must heed. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Now, why did he feel a need to get in this final warning? He was writing from Ephesus, so he may have simply looked out his window and spotted the temple of Diana or one of the many idols that, that lined the streets. Perhaps he saw a silversmith working on an image to sell to tourists, and it upset him. But there's probably more thought behind it than that. Coming from the Greek, the word idol has in it the sense of unreality. Plato used it for the illusions of this world as opposed to the unchangeable realities of eternity. Perhaps John was saying, I've shared with you things that are real, that are true, that we can know with certainty. You've become convinced of these things, and, and I doubt you're going to change your mind about them. You know who you are. You know what God has done for you. And you have the assurances you need to take you through life and death with confidence. But if there's one thing that can mess you up, it's letting the things the world sets on a pedestal become important to you. And an idol is anything that takes first place in your life, something to which you devote your time and energy above everything else. And even though you know the temporal nature of things and physical life in general, it is easy to let these things creep in and take over let them become the most important thing in your life. Don't let that happen. Don't let the uncertainties of this world crowd God out. Don't let the subtle shifting of priorities lead you away from God. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Don't let the rat race for temporal security or pleasure or status suck you in. And sadly, those things do lead many away from Christ, more so than does a confrontation that might shatter their faith and confidence. 
the biggest danger we face, once we've gained the confidence John longs for us to have, is letting it slip through our fingers by simply getting caught up in the illusions of this world by idols, if you please. So be on the alert. Don't let anything pull you away from God and the confidence you have in Him. We have the only life that is true. It's eternal. Don't trade it in. Hang on to it and enjoy the blessed assurance we have in the Son of God. Amen? Let's celebrate that assurance together.